so obviously um, we right from the beginning talked about um, what the kids talked about fear and certainly over the past number of days and weeks so maybe always we hear things that cause us to fear and for those of you who don't know I write my sermon um, on Thursday and if you look at my opening point um, you see I wanted to talk about Columbine well we're not going to talk about Columbine anymore because we have something much more poignant God in his providence has given us something to think about here today um, for us to be reminded of how we, th- how we think about being open um, to God, that's our series right now, open, um, how we think about being open to God in the midst of difficult and challenging and painful circumstances is something that not only do, um, does the world need to hear, but we need to hear. There are some of you who are here who are coming um, not just concerned about Paris, or um, the university in Africa, or Beirut, or the bombing in Egypt, or any of these other horrible things that have happened. You're coming from a place where you have fear or concern about your own pain or challenges, your own journey, your own difficulty. And I think that God has a lot to say to us this morning from this passage in the book of Acts. Um, So if you would turn there with me, Acts chapter 16, we'll begin at verse 25. But as we uh, spend time in God's word together, let's pray for him to open our hearts and our minds to what he has to say to us. Father, um, certainly we think this morning of Paris and, and Egypt and Beirut and uh, this university in Africa that experienced the massacre. We think of all these horrible things that we hear and we ask, Father, that you come with peace Uh, with healing, with comfort, that you, Father, do your work of making whole what is very, very broken, of redeeming right now something that is very messy and ugly, dark and evil. And Lord, we trust that you are the God, the only God who can do this. And that's why we place our trust in you, in Jesus Christ, in the hope of the world, in your spirit's presence in us. Lord, we ask that this morning as we spend time in your word, as we reflect on what it means to praise you in difficult circumstances, we ask, Father, that you meet us, meet us whatever our circumstances are, whether we're in a place of joy or celebration or if we're in a place of difficulty and pain. Meet us that we might hear your words to our hearts and go from this place equipped to live as believers in Jesus Christ, ones who trust in you more than we will fear. We will believe in you more than we will be lost or alone. We will love you and follow you more than we will be hopeless for the world. We will trust in you, O God. That's your work that you do in us. We ask that you do it this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, from the book of Acts, it's about one quarter from the back of the Bible to the book of Acts. Chapter 16, and we're going to start at verse 25. 
After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, before we go any further, I want to give a context to this. First of all, I don't know how you picture this in your mind, um, how you sort of get this image of Paul and Silas there. I want you to know, first of all, whatever it is, you can't see anything because it's pitch dark. This is an inner cell of the jail. If you see later on, the jailer actually asks for lights, so there's no light on. And the inner jail or the inner cell, no light from the outside would be able to get in, and certainly it's night. So whatever your image is, just know it's pitch dark. You probably can't see your hand in front of your face. Not only is it pitch dark, but Paul and Silas are in chains and in stocks. So maybe it's that image that you have, sort of the classical image of them chained to the wall. It's very possible that that was the case, but they would have been chained sitting down on the ground because they were also in stocks. Stocks clamp their feet there so they can't move. So they're chained to the wall in pitch dark and their feet, they're not able to move and they're reclined probably in a very uncomfortable position. It doesn't matter what position you're in. If you can't move from it, eventually it's going to be uncomfortable. Add to that the fact that it's only been a couple hours since they've been beaten severely. They've been flogged. And flogging, it can happen a number of different ways. Usually some sort of instrument. It can be a cane or a club or it can be simply fists. And it's a beating. And we hear in the text earlier on, it's a beating that is severe. So the probability is that they're sitting there still bleeding from lips that are cracked. Maybe a broken nose. Certainly... Probably some cracked, if not busted ribs. They probably have bruises on the upper part of their body. And my guess, usually during a flogging, you pull off whatever garment they have so it's possible that from the waist up, they are naked. And they are covered in welts, bruises, and bleeding. So whatever image you have of what Paul and Silas look in jail, I want you to hear that they're probably in a, a difficult physical state. So as we read through this text, have that image in your head. Suddenly, there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the, prisons were, of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke of the word of the, the word of the Lord to them and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. Now you might think, okay, he took them 
elsewhere, his house would have been a part of the jail complex. So they're still in the jail area, but he and his, and his family would have, the jailer would have lived in a house there. So they're still technically in jail. They're just in a different portion of it. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. And one of the most interesting phrases in the whole text, go in peace. <laughs> we beat the snot out of you. We change you to the wall. We put you in the darkness. We left you alone. Oh, by the way, um, our bad. Go in peace. Right? But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we are Roman citizens. Roman citizens is a get-out-of-jail-free card, by the way. If you're a Roman citizen, you are, have rights to laws, and trials happen in a certain way. Paul's pulling the get-out-of-jail-free card. And he threw us into prison, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. <laughs> All of a sudden pulling back, right? They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas come, came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. Remember, we talked about Lydia several weeks ago. Where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And then they left. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when we hear about these things in Paris, in Africa, Beirut, Egypt, it puts us in a lot of different places, doesn't it? Questions, certainly. Is it going to be safe anymore? What's, what's, what's normal? I mean, this is Paris. It's one of the most, most metropolitan cities in the world. It is... It is a place that is, you know, it's the, the most beautiful city, the, the city where people go if they're in love, and many of you have been there, and you know the, plates, the places, the streets that we're talking about when we hear these reports, and if that place isn't safe, what is? We hear those sorts of things, reports, and we move to those sorts of questions. Maybe we... we Respond in anger. Maybe we want to see um, violence done to another in the name of justice. Uh, certainly, we we wonder. Okay, what does this mean for Christianity versus the jihadists, those who are on a religious war? What is it going to look like? How does this affect relations in this country? How do we interact around this thing? There's a tremendous amount of complexity, especially as you see all these reports on, on uh, television or uh, on the internet or wherever, you, you hear of the complexity of trying to address the issue of ISIS in our world. And what's the best way to do it? Is it troops on the ground? And if so, where? Is it some sort of intelligence 
work that changes things? Is it putting people in? It's complex. And I don't know about you, but I begin to say, okay, God, is this too big for you? Is this, is this going to get us? Is this going to be the thing that pushes us over the brink and, and things are not Christianity or our faith or you are, are not going to be glorified because our world is a world of violence and hatred, murder, terrorism? Are you real in all this? Are you real on the streets of Paris in the six different places where the attacks came? Are you real in the air above Egypt? Are you real in the university? Are you real in the, pl- the places of the bombings in Beirut? Can I trust you? I-, I think actually personally that that's exactly where Paul and Silas were in our text. See, you in your mind might hear those words right at the beginning of our text today that they were praying and praising God. And maybe in your mind you have an image of Paul and Silas in strength, that they're confident. That they're like, I will count my suffering all joy. That I will be joyful in these circumstances. That I will sing, A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Now the problem is they can't stand up. They got busted ribs. Can't sing with that sort of volume with busted ribs. Beyond that, I'm wondering if they were even emotionally in that place. How confident were they? You're in the dark and alone. You feel the caked blood on your face. You feel the pain and the ache in your side from the broken rib. How confident are you to, to sing? See, I don't, I don't think it was a mighty fortress. I think it sounded a whole lot more like this. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. And I, 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 I'm desperate for you. I, 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 I'm lost without you. I don't think there was strength there. I don't think that Paul and Silas were confident in their praise. I think that their praise came out of where else would we go? We're stuck here and we're alone and we're broken. But there's nothing else we can depend on. We're down this road. We're just going to have to try to believe. 
They may have been praising God with strength and determination, but it's more likely that they were praising God out of pain and desperation. In many ways, I think that their prayers and praise were cries for help. I imagine that the prisoners in these stench-filled cells were hearing words of, help us, O God. Rescue us, O God. Be with us. Make yourself known to us because we can't stand this much longer. And through all of this, others were watching. We hear the prisoners were listening. There were people in other cells in the silence and the echoes of all these stone walls. They would have heard Paul's words. They would have heard Silas's prayers. They would have heard them sing. And my guess is that they were asking questions. First of all, what are they praying to? Who are they praying to? And are they really going to believe in all this? Prisoners would have seen them dragged in, broken, bruised, and bleeding. Are these prisoners going to keep on trusting in a God who put them here? Prisoners were watching. Now we can know these sorts of moments too. Maybe not the broken and bleeding, the physical pain, the beating or flogging that we might have experienced. But we can certainly know this in another type of pain. The pain of loneliness. The pain of brokenness. The pain of addiction. The pain that comes with death when it invades our lives in some way. The pain that comes through fractured relationships, a dissolved marriage, a bankruptcy that comes. We can know that feeling of darkness, desperation, isolation. A pain that Paul and Silas knew. And yeah, we may know the joy. You may be here as we sang about praising God for creation and the beauty of it all for a new child or a new grandchild or a new relationship or all the beauty that God has given you. Maybe you're here praising God and praise God if you're here in that place. But more often, we need to seek a way to find, to get, find, to give God praise in the midst of brokenness. What does it mean to live into that sort of praise? We ask the question, in the times of pain and resignation, can we praise the name of Jesus? How do we respond? How do we respond when the pain comes? To rephrase it again, when times are most difficult, will we really believe with our hearts what our mouths speak? Our God is an awesome God. Holy is the Lord. Mighty is he. We say those words, we sing them. It's one of the reasons why I ask you to sing with your brains on. Do you really believe what it is that you're singing? When we speak those words, do we really believe them? Can we really trust Christ? Because others are watching. Now, in a facetious way, it's one of the reasons why this whole red cup ridiculousness drives me the most crazy. 
Here, this whole idea, and it came, if you don't know the story, from some lunatic, calls himself a Christian, in Arizona, who did this video that he then advertised in order to make money. That's what I will say, and somebody's going to have to convince me otherwise. In order to tell us of the war on Christmas at Starbucks. Christmas is being persecuted. Jesus' name is being put down. All this stuff, you know, and of course, you who are on Facebook or Twitter or wherever, you saw it blow up like crazy, and it is a whole bunch of ridiculousness. And it is one of those things where we look at that and we say, is that how we're going to respond as Christians? Is that how we're going to, when times get tough, and that is not even tough, a red cup, that's not tough. But if that's how we're going to respond in this context, what about when things really get hard? What are we going to do? How, how are our hearts, how are, what's going to happen to us? And small thing, big things are coming. And for us to think about how we as a church, we as a community, we as families, we as individuals are going to respond to the pain and the challenge and the difficulty of life. Are we in the midst of that? We're going to, are we going to praise God? Are we going to make ridiculous meme posts like we had with this whole thing? Is that what we're going to do? Praising Jesus in the midst of difficulty is a difficult thing. But it points those who are listening to us to him. And that's, the, that's what true faith does. That's what true belief does. It says no matter what my circumstances, no matter what sort of challenge, no matter what sort of pain I am experiencing, that I will always, with my life, with my heart, with Everything that I am with my words reflect the glory to the God who is with me, whatever the circumstances are. That's true faith. And we see that in Paul and Silas. And we see what it does. We see what it does in this little jail and how it changes lives. In Paul and Silas's worship through pain, God broke through. And yeah, he did it in this really cool thing called an earthquake that showed up and broke chains and broke stocks and opened doors and all that stuff. And that's really cool. But I don't think for a moment that the earthquake was about getting Paul free. I don't think it was about getting Silas out. I think it was about breaking the jailer free and the prisoners around Paul and Silas free from the bondage that they were in to the sin in their lives and in the power of doing what God did here and through the power of Paul and Silas praising God through pain and God showing up and brought God breaking through. Lives were changed. Households were changed. A jail was changed changed. A community was changed. Look what God did. When believers truly praise him, God hears. And when he hears, and when God shows up in it, 
watch out. Because when God shows up, incredible things happen. When God shows up in prison, the most ridiculous church planting program ever happens through Calvin Seminary. When God shows up in your life, crazy things happen. And you, you somehow, and you often, you, you tell me the stories. I've heard them from you. You don't know how it happened. You don't know what God did. You don't know what words you said, but something around you was changed and transformed by the movement of Jesus Christ because God showed up and you, you as a person of praise were part of bringing him there. When God's power shows up, it changes things. Even Paul's words to the jailer make that clear. For Paul and Silas, this whole thing was about Jesus. When the jailer comes and says, what must I do to be saved? What could they have said? Well, quick, bandage up our wounds because I'm hurting here. Quick, bring me some food. I'm hungry. Put the lights on. Well, he'd already done that. But help us and God will say, no, no. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. First words uttered, and you will be saved. This was all about God showing up, making his presence known in the life of Paul and Silas. And because the prisoners and the jailers were watching, they saw him too. That's what praise in the midst of pain does. When they spoke to the jailer through broken lips, he heard Christ's words from true believers and he could believe it because you know you know this jailer thought when he dragged Paul and Silas into the jail earlier he thought these people are broken we got them put them in stocks put them in darkness overnight we beat them up pretty good we don't have to worry about them anymore and all of a sudden he comes into the jail and in the light he sees transformed people And he says to himself, I want me some of that. Because when we look at the world around us, we know that world knows pain too. Our world knows pain. We see it in Paris. We see it in all these events of the last week. We see it in the brokenness in our world. You see it in your neighborhood. You see it in your family. You see it in your workspace. There is brokenness and pain all over. And you see how badly people walk through that, don't you? You see how people self-medicate in order to get past their pain. You see how people pursue anything to anesthetize themselves from the pain. An alcohol, a drug, a relationship, an experience, an ignorance, whatever it is that they can do. And when they look and they see somebody somewhere who in the midst of pain experiences the presence of the living God and knows the grace and the power to go through that pain and experience the blessing of God's presence because they're watching, they see it. And then they see it and they say, I need that because my pain either is here now or is coming. And when it comes, I need to go through it that way because this other thing ain't working. It ain't happening. For us to see that the challenges and the pain that we go through is, yes, certainly an opportunity for God to teach us and transform us 
Yes, beautiful. Praise God for it. It is also an opportunity in how we express praise to God through it for others to see him perhaps for the very first time. When we live into that true faith through pain that leads to praise, the world sees Jesus in us in a whole different way. They see Christ's power in all its beauty. When God says, no matter how broken and messed up you are, I am with you and I love you. No matter how sinful, no matter how broken things are around, no matter how much pain you are in, I am with you to the end of the age and I will never let you go. That is the most beautiful part of knowing Jesus. We are never alone, even in our own sin and brokenness, even in all the darkest of darkness in our lives. We are, that's the incredible part about knowing Jesus. And if you do not know the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I feel, I I hurt for you because that's a lonely place. Come after, we'll talk Nick will be up here. Some other elders will be up here. We'll talk with you about what it means to know when things are dark, you are not alone because God is with you through Jesus Christ. Come, let's talk and see this powerful, powerful beauty of God. And Christ will use this beauty to transform people around those who open their mouths in faith to praise God through trials because they all know pain too. And this is the only blessed way through it. There's all these other ways. You can try to go down that road. You can try to go down this road. You can try that road out. It's not going to bless you. Walking through the struggles, the darkness, and the pain of life, praying and praising God, we know blessing. Several months ago, as many of you know, after Angel Perrineau's death, there was a celebration of life a few weeks later. And as many of you also know, that was a very impactful and a powerful thing in my life, having spent a lot of time with Nick and Sarah through the process. And so as we're going into that celebration in life, I'm sort of you know, watching a lot of things, seeing a lot of things. And as a pastor, I have a unique perspective. I get to stand in front. Everything in my world is in relation to where I stand here. Yours is in relation to there. So I saw things differently that day at Angel's celebration of life than you did. If you were there... If you don't know Angel's story, Team Angel on Facebook is a good way to understand it. He's a 15-year-old boy who died after several multiple organ transplants, cancer, and a whole bunch of other stuff. He was with his family of adoption for about 11 or 12 years. It's quite a story worth hearing if you don't know it. Team Angel on Facebook. But at his celebration of life service... um, If you were there, you heard the story. You heard stories of Angel's strength, right? 
how strong this kid was going through all the difficulty of hospitalization and stuff. You heard stories of, of the faith of a family that um, was so strong in the midst of all this. Nick and Sarah and Hudson and Haven going through the difficulty that they went through. And you heard lots of stories about that. You heard just stories of the fun that people had. Uh, Angel was a great um, superhero fan and all the little fun things that went along with that. Even people dressed up that day in superhero t-shirts and outfits to celebrate that. But I saw things from the front a little differently or at least something that caught my interest in a powerful way. There was a group from the front standing up on the stage over here at the Celebration of Life service. And there was a whole group of them, maybe about 20 or 30. And they were all people who had been involved in um, angels' care on a professional level. So doctors, nurses, medical techs, social workers, all this sort of group of people were sitting here from the stage um, down in the, the audience. And what was interesting is over the course of the celebration of life, you heard people come up, nurses and techs come up, and in tears sometimes celebrate and, and tell stories of angels' strength and presence in their lives. And they heard, you heard stories of his love and the love of Nick and Sarah and the Paranoid family. You heard all these things. But it, because I was standing where I was standing, I was, I was watching things a little differently. There was not just those people who came up here but all the people who didn't. And I know that some of the people who came up to the front and spoke were followers of Jesus Christ. They professed faith. They knew who Jesus was. But I know for a fact that there were some people down there who didn't know Jesus. They had no idea of who Jesus is, who Jesus was, who Jesus will be in their lives. And in the midst of all this stuff over 11 years of stuff with Angel, they saw and heard lips praising God through pain, praising God with true faith. And I wonder, I truly wonder if all of their stories in relationship to with Jesus are not yet written. If there's some more to the story. I believe that. I I'm asking us to do a difficult thing. To step out of the pain that we're experiencing or the challenges that we know and in those moments that are perhaps the most difficult and hard to get out of ourselves to move into a relationship of praise with God. But here's maybe a little little tool for you. In your going deeper section at the bottom of the uh, uh, sermon outline, You have a couple things. First of all, memorize Acts 16. You can look at that and you can work on that. Uh, Verse 34, you can um, think think about true praise. You can also ask these questions of yourself and others around you. Um, How do we walk through trials? How do I praise the name of Jesus in the middle of that? But here's my question. What do you do right now at 721 every day? What do you do at 721? Pray, right? Nick? Shared that last week if you were here and you were listening. I hope you were. Let's pray at 721 every morning and night, right? Great activity. Perfect exercise for us to make that habit, not just at 721, but in a lot more other experiences. But I want to ask the question, what do you do at 722? 
You've prayed, and maybe your prayer is a long prayer. Maybe you're into 724, 25, or maybe 821. I don't know. But at 722, what do you, what do, you do? Maybe, maybe a good exercise is this. That your prayer for whatever circumstances you're walking through or however you're praising God in the midst of that, that at 722 it sounds a little like this. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overwhelmed by your presence. As we close our time of prayer with a time of praise, welcoming God into whatever experience. Maybe you're in the joy of a great dinner you just had or a breakfast that you've had with a friend, whatever that, but maybe you're in the difficulty and the brokenness, but you in that moment are willing to, in true faith, welcome God in through Jesus Christ. Because at 722, 721, 723, 24, and 25, people are watching. And can they see Jesus? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here in us. We praise you that you do give us the presence of the Holy Spirit in our pain. And Lord, in true faith, strengthen us to what it means to worship and praise you. To proclaim that no matter how difficult our experience, that we will believe. We will trust in Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved as the jailer and his family. We will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and we will know hope and comfort. We will know grace and love. We will believe, no matter how difficult, and it is, Lord, we confess it is hard sometimes to believe that. Our our sight is blocked and blinded by the blood dripping from our eyes, the tears on our face, the darkness around us, that we are blinded from seeing you. Lord, invade us, break through us, that we might be able to give you praise. You might come, we might meet you, and others might see you in us. These are things that only you can do through the grace and love of Jesus Christ, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.